0: Uh, The trade from a few days ago. So Zach Muckinhern was just one of the many guys who have been up here, one of the many cavalcade of garbage relievers we've seen. The Mets DFA Zach Muckinhern, but because they're willing to pay money, they were able to turn Zach Muckinhern into Chris Flexen and Trevor Gott. Chris Flexen gets DFA'd again by the New York Mets. The first time was a bunch of years ago. Happens again, but the reason they're able to get Trevor Gott is because they're willing to pay the $3.9 million owed to Chris Flexen, And that's the weapon of Steve Cohen. I'm not trying to put Trevor Gott in the Hall of Fame. I'm not telling you he's going to be any kind of reliable reliever. But what I am telling you is they acquired somebody for less talent because they were willing to pay that kind of money. A couple of quick things about Trevor Gott. We saw him make his Met debut in the finale of the series against Arizona. Innocuous inning, not much to judge. Mets had a huge nine run lead. But looking at Trevor Gott's season so far, until his last three performances, he was having a really good season out of the Mariner bullpen. Had a one eight nine ERA. He had one bad appearance out of the bullpen, went on the injured list with some back spasms, had two performances off the IL, both again were bad, and that brought up his ERA. That doesn't mean that we should take those three performances and eliminate them. They were his most recent performances. I just want to put his numbers in context. So did the Mets get something here with Trevor? God will say. He's just going to be another one of those guys who's going to be thrown into big situations, and there's a decent chance we're cursing him out the way we cursed out Jeff Brigham. Or maybe Billy Epler pulled off a surprisingly good under-the-radar deal, but it was powered because of the money that Steve Cohen was willing to pay to Chris Flexen, a guy who is not going to suit up for the Mets. He's already been released. Now, there was a roster move made. Danny Mendick was up here for a short period of time. He was sent down, and DJ Stewart was called up. The construction of this bench now makes very little sense because DJ Stewart is a first-baseman outfielder. He's a left-handed bat who had good pop down at AAA, low batting average, high OPS, a lot of home runs. He does hit lefties. I want to point that out. His numbers at AAA, he was hitting lefties. With that said, you're still looking at a bench that's going to be exclusively left-handed. That's really what you're looking at. Now, assuming you have Canna on the bench, which you've had a lot of, that's your one right-handed bat. The rest of your bench is going to be DJ Stewart Omar Narvaez, Luis Giorme, assuming Beatty's hammy's okay. That's the reason why Beatty didn't start the finale of this series. It doesn't make a lot of sense because you put yourself in a spot where you don't have those right-handed bench options. You don't have a lot of it. So I, I'm not saying Danny Mendick necessarily needed to be the guy to stay up here. I know the obvious answer is Mark Vientos, who's put up the big numbers at AAA. But then it calls into the question of, do you want Vientos up here as a bench player? Which I think most of us would want him playing every day, which makes the most sense. And Daniel Vogelback, who cooled off so much after his little mental break, bats fifth in the finale of this series against the Diamondbacks. I'm ripping it on social media. Everybody's ripping it. And then Vogelback gives you a two-hit game, which I'm not complaining about. But you know what two hits for Daniel Vogelback does in a game? It means Buck Showalter is going to start him for a month straight. That's what it means. He has one good game. It means he's out there for the next month and a half. doesn't matter if he goes over 30. But it's not a knock on D.J. Stewart. It's more that they're very left-handed on their bench, and the odd man out is probably Vogelbeck. Well, Let's be perfectly honest, because the, at least D.J. Stewart can play the outfield. At least D.J. Stewart can play the field. And at least D.J. Stewart has a prayer when he faces a left-handed pitcher, something Daniel Vogelbach does not. So I hope they change the construction of this roster. Will they? I don't know. I mean, they don't want to call up Vientos and have him be a bench player. If Vientos is up here, he should play every day, which I understand. And clearly Buck Showalter doesn't want to play him every day. But there's somebody out there. There's somebody out there that maybe, just maybe, Pete Hoffman is saying, Evan, I got the guy. I got the guy you want, the guy you need, the guy who's available, the guy who's sitting there right there for anybody to take. And that, of course, is your guy, Nelson Cruz, who got DFA'd by the San Diego Padres. He's 43 years old. He's not retiring. He still wants to play. I've been reading rumors that the Twins may bring him back, that the Rangers may bring him back. What about the Mets? Hoff, you've been his biggest fan. Even though Nelson Cruz this season for the Padres hit 245 with a 681 OPS, your counter could be better than Vogelback. You want to bring a Nelson Cruz to be that right-handed bat?
1: No, I, I prefer calling up Vientos at this point in time. I don't know. Cruz Cruz hasn't really had much left in the tank. I, last year was bad too. It's not you're not spending a lot on him. That's fine, but I, I think at this point in time. You could do that, whatever. Vientos and Cruz are are the same.
0: Well, Vientos is better because he could play a position. Nelson right. Cruz can't even play a position at this point.
1: <laughs> hey, can I say something about vocal By the way, because after the Alonzo home run, vocal got up, and uh, I gotta say, even against righties, he really sees a lot of great pitches, and they just he doesn't offer, doesn't offer at all. I mean, yeah, I don't. It, 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 you got to give him some credit today. He did have an RBI
0: double. He had another base hit. He had a 12-pitch at-bat. I know the strikeout after the Alonzo home run looked
1: bad, but he actually did have a good game. He did. I, I gave him credit for, for, for the hit, and he was – yeah, that 12-pitch at-bat was great, but I just am confused. It's like watching the kids in Little League when they just looking at the pitcher like, oh, guy's throwing gas, and you don't even offer at it. Like, what is – Going through his head when he's watching strike one, two, and three go right down the plate. It's, I'm, I'm just confused.
0: He is a very, <laughs> a very, very, very selective hitter. <laughs> and that's a, I'm trying to put it nicely. Ugh. Very selective hitter. Too selective. Very. Too yes. Hitter. And and the, and the truth is, despite him having a good, a decent game against Arizona on Thursday, it's over. It, it should be over for him. Where, like, I give you an example. And I know it didn't matter. They won 9-0 and Vogelback had two hits. The guy who should have been in the lineup over Vogelback was Mark Canna. Mark Kana delivered the game-winning RBI triple the night earlier. Canna's not a guy who should just be playing against lefties. That's not that's never who he's been. Like he's a serviceable player who can hit right-handed pitching. Now, Tommy Fam has taken the left field job and he deserves it. I don't think anybody's questioning that. So Fam is clearly the left fielder. But now if you're giving me a choice between Mark Canna or Daniel
1: Vogelbach at the DH at bats, I'd lean towards Canna. Well, I would. this is this is the thing, Ed. You know, I, we touched on this a couple podcasts ago when JD Davis made his comments about like returning to the Mets uh, to, to City Field and just like how he left the team. His one comment was, after a while, like I'd get a big hit and I'd sit. There's no, there's not that you have to have reward people for having a big day. But you can't – you don't allow guys to get in a groove.
0: Well, and look, Canna's a good example of it because we think of the RBI triple, which we should. He got the game-winning hit. He also drew two walks in the game. So Mark Canna the night earlier was on base three times in a night in which the Mets rarely had base runners. He was a very productive player, and the return the next night against Ryan Nelson is you're out of the lineup. So I do think that fits – Kind of what J.D. Davis said. Let me get to some of your emails, and then we'll preview the Padres series. I took some heat on Monday from Ralph. Ralph writes, Evan, I love you, man, but as Russo used to say, come back to me, Evan. Come back. You were so out there on your last Rico when you started breaking down wild card tiebreak scenarios. Good Lord. On July 3rd, the Mets were eight games out of the final wild card spot and have to pass four teams to get there. You're wasting your breath discussing the other non-wildcard crappy teams the Mets have or don't have the tiebreak over. To even broach the subject of tiebreakers with the Dodgers was borderline insane. The Mets are like nine back of the Dodgers. If the 2023 wild card race is decided by a Met-Dodger tiebreaker, I will shave Hoff's head myself. Still love you, Ralph. And I was fine with this criticism because, I mean, I'll retort it, until Ralph wrote where he's from. Ralph from East Los Angeles, California. So did I anger a Dodger fan? Is that what happened? And look, I'm going to defend myself. I think I have spent the last few Ricos keeping things in perspective. I have. I have not broken down how this team's going to make the playoffs. I have said it's a long road back. What I merely said about some of these games and some of these series is that tiebreakers now matter in major league baseball because we don't have one game playoffs. Okay. There is no scenario where the Mets and diamondbacks are tied and there's just a one game playoff season series matter. So in my opinion, these season series now matter more than they ever did. I am merely stating that. And I'm merely reminding you that if you want to make the playoffs, Not only do you have to win a crap ton of games to get back to 500 and above 500 and make up a lot of ground, but you may have to have some of these tiebreakers. And I was merely pointing out they don't have it against the Milwaukee Brewers. They do not. And that they may have it against the Phillies or Marlins, depending on their final regular season meetings, and that they don't have it against the Cubs, and they don't have it against the Reds, And they probably have it against the Dodgers right now because, oh yeah, they won two out of three. That doesn't mean I think the Mets and the Dodgers are going to finish tied. The Dodgers are probably going to win that division despite all the injuries to their rotation. Like if I had to make that bet, I'd say they win the division. So I'm merely pointing out what should be reminded to everybody because it is a relatively new format. This is still kind of new to us. Tiebreakers matter. And if we're going to sit here and try to figure out how the Mets can get to 500, how many wins does it take to make the playoffs, who are they going to have to pass, then you have to remind yourself that owning tiebreakers matter. Now watch this. I hope this doesn't offend someone from Philadelphia. The Mets closed the season with 13 straight games against the Marlins and the Phillies. Now that may be relevant, because if the Mets are within striking distance of said Marlins and Phillies, those final 13 games will at least leave everything in their hands. With that said, the Mets right now are eight games behind the Marlins in the loss column and seven games behind the Phillies in the loss column. The Mets have a lot of work to do. They have a lot of work to catch Philadelphia. They have a lot of work to catch Miami. They have a lot of work to catch Milwaukee. They have a lot of work to catch the Dodgers. They've got a lot of work to catch the Giants. The one team that they're right there with is the San Diego Padres. And they will get their crack over three games over the weekend. The Mets have already won two out of three against the Padres. So watch this. Watch this. If the Mets win two out of three against the Padres again... They will own the tiebreaker. And that means if by some fluke the Padres and the Mets finish with the same record, the Mets would have the tiebreaker. So, Ralph, you're right about everything you said. I'm a delusional son of a bitch. No, I'm kidding. I mean, I'm (laughs) going to bring up tiebreakers. What do you want from me? Of course I am. Now, let me get to a few others. Mike Dingman writes, Evan Hoffman. What stands out to me most about Alvarez's at-bat when he hit the home run is when he disagreed with the strike call. This is a good point by Mike. He has the presence of mind to take a timeout, calm himself down, and regroup. Then he came back focused and had what I consider the most important Mets at-bat in 2023. That's a good point. Like If you go back and SNY showed it uh, the other night, I think during Game 3 of this series, he was pissed about the low strike that was called on two and one. So it went from potentially three and one to two and two. He showed his emotion. He called timeout. He walked way away from home plate, took a big deep breath, got back in the box. And then even after the game, mentioned that he was bothered by that call. Andrew writes the real reason for the Mets success. Here it is. I have solved the mystery. It is not Pete Hoffman's hair, it's Craig Carton. Craig Carton commuting blasphemy and rooting for the Yankees as your partner cursed the New York Mets. And as soon as he left, they've broken the curse. (laughs) That could be it. Jokes aside, starting in mid-June, I kept telling people the Mets were just so good they had to take a month off to give everybody a fair chance. So the Mets will play 800 ball in July and win a wild card spot and then win the World Series. You heard it first here. It's not a prediction. It's a spoiler. Okay, Andrew. (laughs) as Joe B would say, from your lips to God's ears. Dustin writes, hope. It was the first game of this series that I texted my Mets chat about being hope for the season if they could win three in a row. After Wednesday night's win and building upon that with Thursday, I feel the Mets do stand a chance to make the playoffs. Thursday, in a way, was also of major importance and maybe more important than Wednesday because all year long, for the small amount of crazy wins they've had, they usually come out the next day flat. It's amazing to see the players and the entire organization seemingly shift their mentality completely upon the turn of the calendar. We're mostly negative, but let us Met fans embrace some positives right now. Alvarez is butting into a superstar right before our eyes. Look, they're playing much better baseball. They've got a lot of work to do. And that was the problem during this losing streak we'd always bring up. The Mets now need a 15 out of 20. They need one of those extended runs. My son Jet said to me, we need to win 10 in a row. That was his line. And every day in breakfast, because he's not staying up for these games, we got that funny little, okay, they won two. We need eight more. Up three. We need seven more. And I look forward to telling him Friday morning, because we are recording this very late Thursday night, saying, hey, five down, five to go. But that's what they need. So it's not to take away what they've accomplished by sweeping the Diamondbacks, but they put themselves in a massive, massive hole. Charlie writes, this team is confusing. I don't want to be buyers or sellers. I feel like this is a strange year where it might be best to keep the roster as is and hope there's a bit of magic to come. Most of us were excited about this team in the beginning of the year for a reason. I'm glad to see the excitement coming to life. Not saying we're back, but I want to roll with what we got. Yeah, I think the likeliest scenario has probably always been you don't do anything. And I think a part of why that makes things easy, even if the Mets go out and get swept by the Padres and and take a step back, is that you're probably not getting massive returns for a lot of the guys you have anyway. So why sell guys off to really eliminate any chance of some kind of miracle playoff run when you're not getting top-level prospects? And, And that's the bar I would have. If I'm even having conversations with teams about selling off players, if I'm not getting top prospects that impact me in a major way, then it's not worth it. Then I kind of, I kind of roll the die and say, all right, I'm good. I'll stick with what I got. Not that I'm expecting to make the playoffs, not that I'm expecting to, to go on some kind of magical run, but I think it allows you to be more conservative.
1: The one thing I would say, and it's tough because I, I still don't want Billy Eppler to be the decision maker the bullpen's so bad. If you could find, remember when they traded for Stroman, yeah. uh, a couple of years ago, where it was like the team's not going anywhere. Why are you trading and adding a starting pitcher? If you could find a bullpen piece that's available now and help you for next year as well, because this bullpen is a, is a shit show.
0: It, it's. I know this isn't going to please you, but that's essentially what they did with God. Where they got a guy who is controllable next year, so he's a reliever that helps them now, but in theory helps them next year, I know that's not the guy anybody's that's thinking about you're guy. thinking about you're thinking about a manual class A that's what you're thinking about. you're thinking about a a top level reliever yeah I what Brody van Wagenen did and it was it was smart by the way. it was smart I wasn't even against it at the time, and I think looking back on it, it wasn't a disaster, is he said, i'll improve our team." But it's not a buy in the short term. It's I'll improve our team. And oh, by the way, that guy will be on our team next year. I'm acquiring a guy who's got another year left. So yeah, if that rolls around, that's not buying at the trade deadline necessarily. That's making a trade that helps you now, but also helps you next year. And I think you'd be open to that. What's going to be very difficult, and it's not just for the Mets, it's going to be for anybody, is right now when you look around baseball, if you say the Mets are in it at six and a half games out, who's out? Like, how many teams are sellers? Like, in the American League, you've got two clear sellers in Oakland and Kansas City. And I think the White Sox are on their way. I was hoping they'd make a run. That run's not coming. They're 15 games under 500. I guess the only thing they have going for them is that the division is so bad. But even in that division, they're now eight and a half games back. It's just not coming. So I think the White Sox are probably in that group too. So you have those three teams. Then you've got Colorado, Washington, and and I guess St. Louis has to get there. I mean, I think the Cardinals are approaching it at 15 games under 500, So it's not, it's not a long list. Are you know, like, oh, the Chicago Cubs going to be sellers at 40 and 46, a half game behind the Mets? I don't know. I'm not sure if they will. What's happened is that division looks so different because Cincinnati has really taken off. I mean, hey, they're 10 games above 500. they They're no longer in first place just because the division's bad. They've won five in a row. They have been truly incredible. So maybe you kind of reevaluate it. So I think the other thing will be how many sellers are there. Now, the team they're about to play is also fascinating. The Padres have gotten a little bit hotter, too, like us. They swept the Angels. I think they've won four out of their last five games. They're sort of in that same spot right now in the National League. You Darvish on Friday against Verlander. Blake Snell on Saturday against David Peterson. And I don't think they've announced who's going to pitch Sunday against Max Scherzer. is making that start. Because they flip-flopped him and Senga. They gave Senga the extra two days. It obviously worked with his eight brilliant innings. Will they use Senga, though? I know the answer is no, but I'm, I'm spitballing here. Would they use Senga out of the bullpen on Sunday? Always an option on that All-Star Sunday. He got no game for four days after that. He's probably not making the first start out of the break. So if you want to get creative, if you want to improve your bullpen, Carlos Carrasco should be available for that game, too. Why the hell not? Maybe throw an inning. So that could be fun Sunday as the Mets take on the San Diego Padres. But here we are. The Mets playing their best baseball in over a month and we're still five games under 500. (laughs) So we got a long way to go, but good series against Arizona and it's off to San Diego. We'll give you a podcast right after the series, maybe an instant reaction, depending on how things go. And we'll also have a first half recap podcast, looking back at the first half that was, the bad, the good, and everything in between, coming up on the Rico Bronia during All-Star Week. You can email us anytime, at gmail.com. We appreciate you listening to another exciting edition of Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.